0: Greetings and welcome to another Different Church podcast. My name is Jarrett. I hope you are having an having. I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 11:05 p.m. Sunday night. Uh, today was the final week of our little mini series on Richard Rohr. For now, I'm sure we will revisit him again in the future. Um, hopefully, you loved it as much as we did. Um, it's really cool to talk about uh, some of his stuff in church because. A lot of churches don't like him, and I think that's silly. Um, It's philosophy and theology, and, I mean, it goes perfectly with the type of church that we're trying to be. So, Richie Rohr, thanks for writing good stuff. And to you, listener, thanks for listening. Uh, This one is about faith, and um, I'm excited for you to hear it. Uh, Before Hannah takes it away, uh, just a couple quick announcements. I guess just one. actually before the announcement, thank you for listening and thank you for supporting us. <clears throat> the announcement, groups, if you are local, we are starting groups February 22nd. And if you are not local, we are starting a Zoom group uh, the week of February 22nd. Uh, we got two St. Pete groups and one Tampa group. And we would love for you to be a part of that. Uh, the Zoom group is obviously you can be anywhere. So go to Church to sign up for any of those. And that is all. That's what we got going right now. You are the coolest. Thank you for listening. And here's Hannah.
1: Uh, this is our fourth week talking about the philosophy and ideas of Richard Rohr. Um, it's our final week. So I thought we'd talk about something really just generic and could be talked about at any point. Just faith. Someone asked me what we were talking about today. And I was like, faith. <laughs> just, I mean, you could, you could say that for any Sunday in church, right? Just Faith. That's just what, you gotta have faith. Um, And our scripture verse for today is Mark 115, and it's only one line long, which is my favorite kind of scripture verse. (laughs) It says, ultimate reality is at hand. Change your mind and believe the good news. Now you have probably heard this verse translated slightly differently. Usually, oh no, I'm wearing an earring. Jared's gonna kill me. (laughs) Okay, okay, I won't do that anymore. Um, Let's just hang this tiny little mushroom. (laughs) from my iPad. (laughs) Does it look weird that I have only one on now? It's too late, I already took it off. (laughs) If you thought I wasn't gonna be awkward on stage today, well, (laughs) that's just my life. Okay, so I want you to picture, I'm sure we've all seen this, like a cartoon drawing of a guy, it's always a guy for some reason, wearing like a sandwich board. And on the front, he's got like a megaphone and he's real mad. And he's yelling, and his sandwich board says, repent, right? And if there's enough room on the sandwich board slash cartoon, it might say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, And the message is clearly, you better get ready for the judgment of an angry God who's going to punish you for your sins. And obviously, the solution is to join Sandwich Board Guys Church (laughs) and believe whatever he believes, which apparently includes yelling at people strangers on the street. Um, Has anyone seen any of these people in real life? Oh, Oh, yes, I have, too, and I used to work at a church, and they would, like, come sometimes in protest outside of our church. Not this church, which I feel like is way more protestable. (laughs) The church that I worked at was, like, Baptist, (laughs) and I'm, like, what are you protesting? I'm pretty sure the the, okay, Uh, but I think that's a mistranslation because this word repent, that's usually translated repent or reform or convert, should be translated change your mind. That's literally what it means. Change your mind. Jesus' first word on this subject is mind change. It's not moralistic or even churchy at all. And I feel like repent, people get like woo-woo when we talk about repent. They're like, Either they're like, yes, everyone needs to repent. In fact, we should have confession right now. Or they're like, I don't like that word. I don't know why you're saying that word. I did not come here to be told to repent. But it's not even a churchy word. It just means change your mind. And I think most of us have a problem with change, which maybe is why Jesus talks about it so much, because he knew we would struggle with it. We, we need to accept change as an ongoing central program for our lives, and we don't like it. And in clear and unmistakable language, Jesus and all of the prophets in the Hebrew Bible talk about needing to change. Change our behavior, change our mind. So how is it that the religious groups formed in their name are so against change? Why do we have so much status quo? Well, I think it's very easy Lee. It's the an easy answer to this. We don't like it. <laughs> so therefore we don't do it. We don't like change because our egos hate change and resistance to change shows up in all humans, right? But the more strictly we define ourselves and the more tightly we try to control things, the less we like change. And our ego, that part of our mind that loves to control and strictly define things and like categorize everything, fights new ideas. Because, you know, new ideas might give us new information, which might make us change our mind, which can't possibly happen, and it gives us this unconscious attitude that says, well, one of us is wrong, and it's not me. And fundamental Christians are really good at recognizing this in other people, but not themselves. I don't know if y'all come from, like, the same type of church places I did, but, like, I heard this kind of phrase all the time as a kid. They just won't receive the gospel. Their hearts are closed. Their minds, God needs to open their minds so they can hear the word of the Lord. I'm like, how about you open your mind? I was not. What's a good word for me as a kid? Obnoxious. (laughs) I I have been kicked out of Sunday school. Like, (laughs) now I can't be kicked out because I'm up here. That's not technically true. If I were to go off the deep end, the board could kick me out, okay? Everyone take a breath. That's fine. I don't have all the power. (laughs) But, like, if you take even terms like liberal and conservative, right? These are, okay, useless. These are useless binaries that trap us in all-or-nothing thinking, right? Unself-critical liberals are just as much of a problem as unself-critical conservatives. You don't get to be better than other people just because you had more access to information than they have. You don't get any points for being woke, okay? Both sides protect themselves by suspicion judgments. Like liberals tend to be suspicious of anyone on top or with authority, no matter what authority or why they might have it, or are suspicious. Like, I don't know, they should be questioned. So it's a self-protection measure. Conservatives tend to be suspicious of anyone they view on the bottom for whatever reason, but both are engaging in a superiority system Both are trapped in all-or-nothing thinking. And you especially find this in churches, which drives me insane. Like, churches should be the most open places. They should be the places where we do the most change and the most being with each other and entertaining multiple ideas at one time. And instead, we're like, no, one of us is wrong. It's not me. It cannot possibly be me. Because if I'm wrong, well, (laughs) like, words... Are to be repeated and memorized, and rituals are not to be changed. Well, why, if you want, if you have a business and you want your business to survive and like thrive, what do you have to do? You have to have like brainstorming and um, feedback and suggestions and like outside consultants sometimes, and like constantly be self-assessing and taking the temperature of the people who are supporting your business and like trying to change, right? And yet. In religious circles, it's considered disobedience or rebellion. That's a nice church word. Do you have thoughts for yourself? Spirit of rebellion. (laughs) Disbelief, you're going on a slippery slope. And you know where that leads? Hell. Hell. (laughs) Heresy, to just even have questions or to think about other ideas, or to maybe disagree with the person who is talking out loud in a microphone. Apparently, this is why most of the prophets, including Jesus, were killed by their own. <laughs> they are a person who's holding a sign in like a megaphone, right? We need to turn the sign around. And If we're yelling at people to change, we perhaps should do the changing first. Then we might have repentance, a change of mind. When our minds are not open to change, we cannot see that we're working against our own self-interest, right? We get so eager to, like, shoot at something that we shoot ourselves in the foot, and then we're like, that's what God wanted. (laughs) Everyone hates us now, but that's what God wanted. We're just being persecuted. In our own churches, like our own Christian churches, and I know most of us have come from some type of Christian faith, how do you explain the obvious avoidance of most of Jesus' teaching? Jesus had clear, now Jesus had some confusing teachings and the crowds were like, I don't know what that means. And the disciples were like, also, we have questions? What does that mean? And Jesus was like, you won't get it. Someday you'll understand. But most of his teachings were pretty clear and direct and they talked about things like nonviolence, a simple lifestyle, love for the poor, forgiveness, mercy, love of enemies, inclusivity, not trying to spend your life getting power and possessions. And throughout history, all of those have been overwhelmingly ignored by the majority of Christian churches, even the ones who are like, we're biblical. What, I find it fascinating that the things we ignore require actual change of our lifestyle, our security systems, our thought patterns, the way we think about each other. What we emphasize instead are intellectual beliefs that are like moral superiority stances that ask nothing of us. We're like, oh, do you know what you need to believe in? The divinity of Christ. Believing in the divinity of Christ does not make you a good person, okay? Usually it makes you a bad person because then you're like, I do it and you don't. One of us is wrong and it's not me, (laughs) right? We emphasize things like the divinity of Christ. If you're upset by the way I said that, I like the divinity of Christ. I just don't think that necessarily has any view or any... Um, influence on how you act to, like, your kids. The virgin birth, atonement theories, beliefs about reproduction. Belief, it, it, it gives us a sense of superiority to be like, we have a list of doctrines. Don't look at my bank account. We have a list of things we believe about God. Don't call me out on the fact that I, like, screamed at my partner, yesterday, and have not apologized. We have diverted our attention from anything that would ask us to change, and put it all on other people to change. Even heaven and hell, like, they're, like, what even are they anymore? They become these, like, primarily geographical places of reward and punishment that keep us from seeing what's happening right now inside of us, inside of our own communities. Simone Weil had a really fabulous quote, I think, and she said inner communion is good for the good and bad for the bad. God invites all the damned into paradise, but for them it is hell. Harsh? Could be harsh, but we've been spending 3 weeks talking about being present in the moment and going thinking through our inner world and thinking through all of the thought patterns that we have. And if you have a lot of really unhealthy thought patterns, being present with them is not fun. It's not what people are like, yes, I would like to sign up for that, please. I would like to be completely miserable and in my anxiety all the time. Heaven is now and forever for people who are willing to change. If your religious practice is nothing more than like being sincerely open to every new moment in your life, you will find God and also yourself. Conversion—we talked about conversion last week, but like conversion is more of a, a, a happening rather than something you do. All you know is that you're being guided, loved, healed, prayed through. You're not in the driver's seat anymore, and God stops being some kind of object like any other object in the world, and becomes I am. And then afterward, it's like one of the things you know is true when you've experienced it, but you don't really know what it's like until you've experienced it. And then afterwards, you're like, maybe, uh, maybe life is not about me, but I'm about life, which is a weird, like, what does that even mean? But like Paul said it in Galatians, I live now, but not I, I live a different life. <laughs> What's that even mean? Well, you know when you find it. Part of faith is forgiving reality for being exactly what it is. We, I, I'll just speak for myself, I do not like that. My, our minds try to protect us from things, especially reality, because reality is full of like some good stuff, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of things we can't control, right? And our mind is so desperate to protect us, and I think our minds have served us well because we can drive cars, And like use washing machines and make ice cream out of cashews. This is all because of our minds. This is fabulous. But the mind can only take us so far. Our minds are not the tree of life. We don't want to forgive. Our mind doesn't want to forgive. Our mind doesn't want to let go. Our mind doesn't want to tolerate the suffering that comes with existence. We don't want to forgive reality for being what it is. We want to change it. Well, but you can't change it until you accept it. We don't want to forgive it even once, let alone 70 times 7, like Jesus said, which is a metaphor for like an infinite number of times. Hmm. We don't want to suffer. We only want to love. But love and suffering are actually the greatest spiritual teachers. They're like the primary spiritual teachers. They teach us more than any book. They teach us more than the Bible. That is heresy. (laughs) at least in my church growing up. Uh, They teach us more than the Bible. The Bible is fine. It's great even. It's not gonna teach you what to do when your world is ending. You only know what to do when your world is ending when your world is ending and you realize that God is still there. Suffering teaches us more than the Bible. It teaches us more than church. It teaches us more than any ritual or book about theology or pastor or anything could possibly teach us. Life experience teaches us so much more. And love, we want, we're looking for love. Like we want, love is what we were created for. And in some aspects, love is what we are. It's not, I think, therefore I am. It's I love, therefore I am. We are God's love in physical form. but suffering seems to be our opening to that identity. Like we can't always get there. And we try, you know, the Bible's like, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. Or it's not love at all. Love leads to giving up control. that's the part we don't like because we want to control. Suffering happens when we're unwillingly not in control, which is most, most of the time. I don't want to give anyone, like, an existential crisis, but life is real fragile. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing that could stop us from, like, there's the whole building just caving in, but we're like, no, there's nothing about it. (laughs) When I was in uh, vacation Bible school one time, as a child, I was sitting with my legs up because I cannot sit like a normal person, the fact that still bothers my mother to this day. She's like, well, you put your feet on the floor. No, I'm an adult. Um, and the teacher used me as an object lesson for, she was like, do you see how Hannah is having faith in this chair to hold her up? Because her feet are on the chair and her whole body's on the chair and her feet are on the ground. And at the time I was like, wow, this is really mind blowing. And now I'm like, how would my feet have made any difference if the chair collapsed? (laughs) Like I would still be on the ground, right? I'd still be on my butt. But we have this metaphor for faith. We, we, We don't have any control. I, if you weren't here last week, I'm like a little bit pregnant, (laughs) like seven weeks, that's why I say a little bit. I don't have a lot of trust. I don't. We've had losses. I want to be happy. I'm not there. Like, I want to be excited. I don't have that emotion. I have, we'll see. We'll see if it sticks. And I want to control it, but I have zero control. And actually, that's been the most comforting thought of all, because with Nova, I felt horrible (laughs) the whole time. I was like anxious that something was going to happen to her. She's fine. She's, you know, if you've met her, (laughs) she is. Um, And like last time, I felt really positive, and it ended terribly. Which means no matter what I'm thinking, I don't have any control over this. My feelings on it only impact my experience. They don't impact the outcome. And the suffering that we are faced with sometimes, it might feel wrong or terminal or absurd, Or unjust, or impossible to go through, or physically painful, or just outside of our comfort zone. Like, there are so many things that leave us out of our control every day, even if it's just a really long stoplight. Do really long stoplights make you guys happy? (laughs) That's a tiny, just a tiny little bit of suffering (laughs) every day to be like, I have to wait in line again. But, like, it's a good thing because you don't want to die from running a red light right? But we're like, no, I'm not in control. Somebody else is telling me that I have to stop and therefore I am angry and therefore five miles down the road, I'm going to yell at someone or like flip them off because I'm late and I didn't leave my house in time and I spilled my, it's like this snowball effect, one tiny moment of being out of control, snowballs into so many things that we can't control and it's like an existential crisis and we can't face it so we just yell at people or we get really anxious, We have to transform that because we will transmit it to other people and to the next generation. Suffering can make us really bitter and close us down or it can make us really wise and compassionate and open to other people. It takes us to the end of our resources where, as Hebrews says, we have to fall into the hands of the living God and we realize how much we have fallen short at times and how much grace there has been. How much hurt we've put into the world and how much love there has been in return. And being authentic and having being present in the moment is how you access faith. How you love anything is how you love everything. Y'all heard the like famous Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Typically we go one direction with this, like, we what if you don't love yourself? <laughs> and then how do you love your neighbor as yourself? And I think that's maybe a misunderstanding because we think this means we have to love other people the same amount we love ourselves, which if we don't love ourselves, becomes really difficult. But really it means it's the same source and the same love that allows me to love myself and other people and God all at the same time. And God's source is unlimited, which means we have an unlimited capability to love ourselves. Faith is made up of love and presence and change, and it is not intellectual extent, is assent, it is not believing things to be true or false, it should give us practices. Like we should, what is faith? It's not some immaterial thing. It should give us concrete practices so we know how to open up, faith, how to hold on, hope, and how to allow ourselves to be sustained by another source, love. Love. It's not faith that a doctrine or a moral opinion or some random thing that your church said is true. Faith is the belief that God is accessible to us and even on our side. 2 Corinthians says, from now on we must look at nothing from an ordinary point of view. If anyone is in Christ, they must become a completely new construct. The old construct has passed away. Our old construct is our binary thinking, our all or nothing thinking, our one of us is wrong and it's not me, thinking, our trying to control everything. Non-dual thinking, the art of being present in the moment, teaches us how to hold creative tension, how to live with paradox and contradiction, how not to run away when we get confused and therefore actually practice what's necessary as a person of faith that Jesus said, compassion, humility, love, patience, forgiveness, humility, to be truly present it means we're, we're dropping down to a deeper level than just the surface. You can, we can see our drama, but we can still live calmly. We're not unattached. The goal is not to have emotions, but we're not like dragged everywhere by sideways and slant ways and front ways and back ways by like a text message that you got or a thought that you had. We stop thinking constantly about everything And collapse into nothing, which is the space where God lives. The quiet, still place. You don't get there, you fall there. That's like, must be what Glennon Doyle means when she's like, sink, sink, go deeper, find the place under all the other places and be there. And actually, it's super uncomfortable because we think that our thinking is what makes us us. But if you're in that space with God, then you're not thinking. Perhaps this is the meaning of Jesus' teaching, lose yourself and find your own soul. That's where God lives. The silent emptiness that is somehow so full that it's overflowing. That's where God speaks in the space that has room for God to speak. That space gives us perspective and lets us see things as they really are not how we want them to be, not how we wish they were, not how we're mad that they are, how they actually are. And then later we can move to change or fix or do whatever needs to be done to move forward, but you don't have to do it in order to be happy and content. The Bible calls that the peace the world cannot give or take away. Y'all can come back. Sinking into this space makes us possible to see that, like, events and titles and roles and opinions and clothing and money and church, they don't define us. We can let go of things and also keep them and love them, but it's not who we are. We can stop labeling and ranking and categorizing people and just see them. We can love and serve others, not use them or need them to define ourselves we can allow God to see and accept us, which then becomes what we can see and accept in ourselves and each other. We say like two things are true. What if a hundred things are true? What if opposing things are true at the same time? we have to learn to live with paradox or we cannot live peacefully or happily even a single day in our lives. In fact, we must learn how to love it or we'll never be forgiving or wise or loving or even having enough patience to have any good relationships. Everything is a clash of contradictions. There is nothing on this whole created earth that is not a mixture of good and bad, helpful and unhelpful, endearing and annoying, living, dying, we're all a mixed blessing. So what do you do? If you're unhappy with the state of the world, what do you do? If you're unhappy with the state of the church, what do you do? If you're unhappy with the state of your faith, what do you do? If you're unhappy in your relationships, what do you do? Well, practice faith by, if you want others to be more loving, choose to love first. If you want a reconciled outer world, heal your inner world. If you are noticing other people's irritability, let go of your own. If you find yourself really resenting the faults of other people, stop resenting your own. If the world seems desperate, let go of your despair. If your situation feels hopeless, honor the one spot of hope inside you. If you want to find God, then honor God inside of you because you will always then see God beyond you for it's only God in you who knows where to look for God outside of you. Jesus said almost the same thing if you think that's too wishy-washy. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Give, Grant pardon, you will be pardoned. Give, and there will be gifts for you. The amount you measure is the amount you will be given back. It's really easy to say that another way, isn't it? Are you tired of people judging everybody? Stop judging yourself. Are you tired of all the accusations and the condemnation? Then stop doing that to yourself. Do you want forgiveness? Well, start by forgiving. We get to desire. This is like one of the craziest paradoxes of faith. We desire only what we've already partially found. It's like when you taste something really good and you're like, I need more of that. But you didn't know until you had it that it was like missing in your life. For me, ice cream made out of cashews. It's a mystery and it's crazy and it makes no sense. And yet it's the thing that makes the most sense in the whole world. And we don't know what to do except maybe... Whatever we're carrying, just set it down. Just set it down. It doesn't have to be that heavy. Sink. Let go. You will never have peace of mind when you're in your mind.